2020. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. Uh, my name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so the book of Daniel, man, um, we're in chapter five, and we covered a lot of ground in the first four chapters. My man Daniel and his friends, uh, Hananiah, uh, Azariah, Mishael, I'm going to call them by their God-given names, not their pagan names, uh, are in Babylon, right? And one of the main things the book of Daniel is trying to show us is how do we live faithfully in exile and at the same time knowing we live faithfully in exile, knowing that God is the sovereign ruler over the kingdoms of the world. All right, so Daniel chapter 5, right? So last time we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar, God humbled him, uh, something on something crazy right made him like an animal of the field and he ended up saying like yo your god is the true god right and here in daniel 5 we get introduced to this guy named belshazzar right and so he is now the king of the world power that is babylon at this time and the events that take place in chapter 5 are estimated to be about 25 years later right after what happened in chapter 4 with nebuchadnezzar and belshazzar as the text is going to mention here is having a feast, right? He's throwing a party for him and his nobles and all his peoples, right? And so it says this, under the influence of wine, Bro was drunk. Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, wives and concubines could drink from them. Straight blasphemy, right? As a result of using the vessels that were meant for God's temple merely as wine cups, it was a slap in the face to the God of Israel. And to make it worse, they were there, the Bible is going to say, praising their phone, their own foreign gods and deities as they had their legs kicked up, kicking it. Right. And this was a celebration right, of a victory that they had and they attributed it wrong, wrongly to their gods. And then later. <laughs> what's going to happen after this later this man is going to literally see writing on the wall right so a hand is going to start writing on the wall and we send to say man see look at the writing on the wall we use that phrase idiomatically but here it's happening literally right and all the people who are with him at the party he's not just hallucinating because he's drunk right everybody at the party sees this hand and um it's writing on the wall and once again, nobody can tell its meaning. The revelation, right? What's going to happen in the future, right? The revealing of God in, in uh, historical events is only given by God. And so nobody, none of his magicians and all that stuff can tell him what's going on. He has to summon Daniel. Daniel pulls up. The text indicates that Daniel isn't feeling, bro. He's not feeling him, right? He's low-key hot, right? And he's like, fam, listen. Belshazzar, your predecessor was Nebuchadnezzar, prideful, right? He was extremely powerful, right, over the known world. And God humbled him and made him like an animal of the field because of his pride. And he's going to say this, but you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. He's like, basically, he's like, fam, you're on the same wave, Right. You on the same wave as Nebuchadnezzar and you should have learned from history. Right. And one of the things the text is trying to show us is this. God sometimes wants to use history to humble us. Right. He wants us to learn not always from experience, 
not from our own experience, but usually from someone else's, right? He wants us to get the same lesson without paying the same price, right? And Belshazzar doesn't see that. So Daniel's going to say, yo, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought them to an end. Your kingdom has been divided and it will be given to the Medes and the Persians. As quick as God can raise up a nation, he can bring it down. Listen, our confidence should never be firmly rooted in any type of earthly kingdom or nation, right? Because why? Because God can do what they can't and they can't do what he can. Daniel 6, Babylon gets taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire, like Daniel said in the last chapter. And Daniel is now said, or the book of Daniel says, there's a new sheriff in town. My man, King Darius. Darius appoints these leaders over the land, satraps and administrators, which include none other <clears throat> than Daniel. Folks get jealous of Daniel at the fact that Daniel has favor with Darius, right? Because uh, Darius sees that the spirit is in him, right? That he has the spirit of God. And Daniel, Darius sets Daniel, excuse me, in charge, essentially, as a prime minister of the whole land. So the text is going to say this. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. In other words, they're jealous of Daniel, but my man Daniel is blameless, right? There wasn't anything to be said about him. Therefore, they made up something, something to condemn him for, right? And so basically, these other officials create a law, right? They created a law and forced the king to sign it. And the law said anyone who worshiped anyone other than the king would be thrown into a lion's den, right? This is the context of one of our favorite Sunday school stories, right? And what's crazy is this is what people today mean by systemic injustice, right? Discrimination and oppression, just like it has been in the United States, was written into legislation here in the text. I'm just reading the Bible. That's all I'm doing. Laws, right? Laws made the worship of Daniel's God illegal, right? He made it illegal, right? And Daniel shows us, oh, this is so good. And Daniel shows us that living faithfully in exile may mean that you don't compromise the worship of God for sure. And you fight not to break his commands, even when it may mean breaking the law, right? And so they throw my man, they come to his room, see my man's, oh, he prayed three times a day, bet we're going to take him, throw him in the lion's den, seal it shut, and make sure he's left for dead, right? And when King Darius, who had a uh, kind of seared conscience, not seared conscience, a sensitive conscience uh, the entire time this whole thing was going on, he goes back to look in the lion's den, and he goes and asks Daniel, like, yo, you still alive? And he's like, yo, Daniel's like, yo, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they haven't harmed me for I was found innocent before him and also before you, your majesty. I have not done harm. And we just learn once again that God vindicates the righteous. He vindicates the innocent. Once again, for the second time in this story, life comes out of the place where death is most expected. 
And that's what God does, man. God saves him. And now Darius is praising the God of Israel. We see something. I wish I had more time to talk about it. We see something so similar, eerily similar in the life of Jesus, right? Where he is thrown into a tomb after really dying, right? And they come back and see that not that the tomb is occupied, but it's empty. Daniel 7 comes. And it marks a shift in the book. And basically, I said it before, Daniel 1 through 6 is history, right? You're going to get the history and life of Daniel. Daniel 7 through 12, the last six chapters, are apocalyptic literature, right? Apocalyptic literature where Daniel is going to see visions of the unfolding of God's redemptive acts. Now, apocalyptic, apocalyptic, excuse me, literature basically included certain elements, right? So I'm going to give them to you real quick and we're going to keep it moving. Apocalyptic literature included suffering and oppressed people. It was a vision. Suffering and oppressed people were included. A people who were in captivity to a powerful foreign ruler were included. Um, it reminded the audience of those that read it that there was a higher power in charge and that the higher power was on their side and that one day in a final event of judgment, all will be made right. The last things, the eschaton, the last things would come and the kingdom of God would be revealed. So that's basically what apocalyptic literature includes. We see that in Daniel. We see that some in Ezekiel and we see it in most fully in Revelation. Right. So Daniel seven, one of the most important chapters in your Bible. Basically, Daniel has his vision of four beasts and they symbolize four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greeks and Rome. And they all eventually are destroyed. Right. And the text tells us by who Daniel 7, 13 and 14, some of the most famous first verses in Scripture. Daniel says this. I continue watching in the nights, in the night visions. And suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory in a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed jesus christ will take these verses and apply them to himself over and over and over again in the new testament and saying that in his life as the messianic king the messiah promised from the line of david his kingdom had broken into history right although the kingdoms of the earth aren't fully done away with his rule nonetheless has begun and will continue and last through all of eternity right and the text will continue to say the kingdom dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people the holy ones of the most high his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will serve and obey him the kings of the earth guys will one day be forced to bow at the feet of the king of kings and at the feet of the king's people right god takes those who lift themselves up and bring them down god takes those who have been beat down and humbled themselves before the lord and brings them up he exalts the humble but humbles the exalted finally daniel 8 another vision really quick ram and a goat the ram represents uh a kingdom which is medo-persia the the persian empire that comes and takes over babylon and the goat represents greeks who takes over persia right and so the goat has these horns that grow up uh remember the goat is um 
the Greeks, he has these horns that grow up and these different kings that come. But however, there's this little horn that grows and it will wreak so much havoc, but in particularly on God's people. Verse 25 will say this about the little horn that comes from Greece. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and by his influence. And in his own mind, he will exalt himself. He will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be broken, not by human hands. Through all of his darkness and oppression and evil. Nevertheless, what the text is saying is that he would ultimately and suddenly be broken. Not randomly, not through um, assassination or battle but by god himself family this is our hope that the places where we work live and play as corrupt as they can be do not have the last word regardless of how loud and powerful they may be the king of kings rules over them and he will one day and fully triumph and reign forever and ever let's pray father we thank you that in your son jesus uh, who is the king of kings who is set at your right hand uh, who is coming on the clouds coming back to get us in power and glory uh, loves us and he has saved us and he has made us citizens of this kingdom i pray god that we would live that way today that the kingdom will be our all-encompassing reality even as we live